Let's open God's Word this evening to the book of Judges. And we will read Judges 13, verse 24, through the end of chapter 14, that is through verse 20. The text for this morning, this evening sermon will be the first four verses of Judges 14. Let's begin our reading at Judges 13, verse 24. And the woman bare a son and called his name Samson. And the child grew, and the Lord blessed him. And the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times in the camp of Dan between Zorah and Eshtael. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. For at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. Then went Samson down and his father and his mother to Timnath and came to the vineyards of Timnath. And behold, a young lion roared against him. And the Spirit of the Lord came mightily upon him and he rent him as he would have rent a kid. And he had nothing in his hand, but he told not his father or his mother what he had done. And he went down and talked with the woman, and she pleased Samson well. And after a time he returned to take her, and he, retur- and he turned aside to see the carcass of the lion. And behold, there was a swarm of bees and honey in the carcass of the lion. And he took thereof in his hands, and went on eating, and came to his father and mother, and he gave them, and they did eat. But he told not them that he had taken the honey out of the carcass of the lion. So his father went down unto the woman, and Samson made there a feast. For so used the young men to do. And it came to pass, when they saw him, that they brought thirty companions to be with him. And Samson said unto them, I will now put forth a riddle unto you. If ye can certainly declare it me within the seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you thirty sheets and thirty changes of garments. But if ye cannot declare it me, then shall ye give me thirty sheets and thirty changes of garments. And they said unto him, Put forth thy riddle that we may hear it. And he said unto them, Out of the eater came forth meat. And out of the strong came forth sweetness. And they could not in three days expound the riddle. And it came to pass on the seventh day that they said unto Samson's wife, Entice thy husband that he may declare unto us the riddle, lest we burn thee and thy father's house with fire. Have ye not called us to take that we have? Is it not so? And Samson's wife wept before him, and said, Thou dost but hate me, and lovest me not. Thou hast put forth a riddle unto the children of my people, 
and hast not told it me. And he said unto her, Behold, I have not told it my father nor my mother, and shall I tell it thee? And she wept before him the seven days while their feast lasted. It came to pass on the seventh day that he told her, because she lay sore upon him. And she told the riddle to the children of her people. And the men of the city said unto him on the seventh day before the sun went down, What is sweeter than honey, and what is stronger than a lion? And he saith unto them, If ye had not plowed with my heifer, ye had not found out my riddle. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he went down to Ashkelon and slew thirty men of them, and took their spoil, and gave change of garments unto them which expounded the riddle. And his anger was kindled, and he went up to his father's house. The Samson's wife was given to his companion, whom he had used whom he had used as his friend. We end our scripture reading at that point. The text for this morning, this evening sermon is the first four verses of the chapter. And Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. And he came up and told his father and his mother and said, I have seen a woman in Timnath of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore get her for me to wife. Then his father and his mother said unto him, Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren or among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? And Samson said unto his father, Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord, that he sought an occasion against the Philistines, for at that time the Philistines had dominion over Israel. At times, Scripture tells us so little about certain events that took place different conversations that happened. And this is one of those instances. For in the space of three verses, we have a record of Samson's desire for a wife and his insistence that she is the right one. Verse 1 tells us that Samson went down to Timnath. Timnath is in the land of the Philistines. He's going to enemy territory. And there, he evidently meets a young woman who was pleasing to him. He returns home from Timnath. And in verse 2, we read that he told his father and his mother about this woman that he met. And he told his parents, Now therefore, get her for me to wife. Dad, pay the dowry. Do whatever you need to do so that I can have this particular woman as my wife. And then in verse 3, we have no doubt in summary form the basic conversation that took place between Samson and his parents. His parents trying to dissuade him. Samson, what about all the daughters of thy brethren that is of the tribe of Dan or of the, the nation of Israel? They're saying, what about... Why not find some woman from your own congregation or from the denomination to which we belong? Why a Philistine, Samson? But though they tried to dissuade him, he would not be moved. And he insisted, you have to get her for me. She's the right one. She's pleasing to me. 
three short verses that no doubt summarize much, much more history, more events that took place, further conversations that happened, and we can be left wondering about the details at times. But though there are times where Scripture tells us very, very little about certain events, certain conversations, at the very same time, there are instances in which Scripture gives us a sort of inside view and tells us things that we would not have known even if we were living in that very history. And that's what verse 4 is relative to verses 1 through 3. Because in verse 4, we read this, but his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord. They're living in this history, but they still didn't recognize certain things that God was sovereign over this. Certainly they knew the truth of His sovereignty, but they didn't see His sovereign hand in this particular event. What is more, we're given an insight into Samson's own thinking, his purpose in this, for we read that he sought an occasion against the Philistines. So that what verse 4 is doing is sort of pulling back the curtain. It's giving us a a look into these secret things that the people living in this history did not necessarily know about. And therefore, verse 4 is the key to understanding this brief passage of Scripture. It's the key that unlocks this particular text. For it teaches us that Samson did have a good purpose here. A desire to do battle with the Philistines who had dominion, who were ruling over God's people at this time. But even though he had that good desire, it in no way takes away from the foolish, sinful way in which he went about it. And so we want to see and understand this history using as our theme, Samson's seeking an occasion from the Philistines. Samson's seeking an occasion from the Philistines. First, we will look at that good desire. Second, at the foolish means. And then third and finally, the sovereign God. The good desire, the foolish means, and the sovereign God. When trying to read between the lines of sacred Scripture, I cannot but wonder how frustrated Samson was with his fellow Israelites at this time. For you see, Samson knew very well his calling to be a deliverer. Before he was ever conceived in his mother's womb, the angel had told his mother that her son would begin to deliver Israel. And certainly, that information was passed down to Samson. He understood his calling. And therefore, I imagine Samson, as a young man, trying to rally the troops, as it were. Men, let's start training for battle. Let's, let's make preparations for a revolt. We can rebel against these these Philistines, and with God on our side, we can conquer them. We can overthrow their dominion. Insofar as he did attempt to rally the troops in that way, his attempts would have fallen on deaf ears. And here I'm not reading between the lines. Here we can draw right from Scripture itself, which teaches us plainly that Israel as a nation was tolerating the Philistines and their oppression. They had accepted it. 
as the status quo. And we say that in light of what we learned back in chapter 13 and the fact that Israel has not yet cried out for deliverance. The ordinary cycle that we find in the book of Judges is that God's people fall into some sin, God gives them over into the hands of their deliverers, and then He will raise up a judge, but He raises up a judge after they've cried out in true repentance unto God. And in chapter 13, we saw there's no cry for help. They're not asking to be delivered at this time in their history. And that's confirmed when we get to chapter 15 and we see Samson making work of delivering the people from the Philistines, and he's rebuffed. The people are not happy with him. Chapter 15, verse 11, they say to him, Knowest thou not that the Philistines are rulers over us? What is it? Is this that thou hast done unto us? They're not happy with Samson for trying to deliver them. Thus we see there was a lack of resistance. They were tolerating this oppression from the Philistines. And it's really no surprise when you stop to think about it. Because they were worshiping the gods of the Philistines. That's what we learn in Judges 10, verse 6. A section that is an introduction to not just the judgeship of Jephthah, but also of Samson. And in Judges 10, verse 6, we read, "...and the children of Israel did evil again in the sight of the Lord, and served Balaam and Ashtaroth and the gods of Syria and the gods of Sidon and the gods of Moab and the gods of the children of Ammon and the gods of the Philistines." They're worshiping the very same gods. And why would you as a nation try to overthrow the reign of another nation when you've embraced their gods and you've embraced their practices and their culture? Especially because any attempt to overthrow their rule, at least at the beginning, is going to be costly. This is going to entail warfare and that is always costly. And thus, Israel evidently is perfectly content to remain under the rule of the Philistines. But this was sin on their part. Because remember, we're talking about God's covenant people. His elect nation that He had chosen and called to be holy even as He is holy so that the nation as a whole is to be made up of spiritual Nazarites. Those who are devoted, consecrated unto Jehovah God. And understand that that devotion to God necessarily includes being opposed to anything and everything that God Himself is opposed to. It means living the antithesis. So that as those who are Jehovah's friends... They are not to make friends with Jehovah's enemies. That's really what they've done. They've, they've warmed up to the Philistines. They've cozied up next to the Philistines. And that was a transgression against the covenant. Instead of warring against them like they were called to do, they tolerated them. They accepted them. And thus, insofar as Samson was frustrated, he had every reason to be frustrated. 
But now before we move on to what Samson would do in light of this and on account of his frustration, let's pause and ask the question, would he be just as frustrated with us? Have we begun to tolerate, to accept certain sins? So that though the enemy has set up a stronghold in our hearts and in our lives, there's a complete lack of resistance. Child of God, what sins are you tolerating in your life? Are we likewise worshiping the idol gods of the world? Maybe that God called worldly entertainment? Or the God called sexual pleasure? What about the idol gods of our hearts? Have we embraced the sin of the sins of impatience, irritability, and anger? Have we begun to tolerate the sins of discontent, ingratitude, and covetousness? Are we accepting of such sins as pride and selfishness in our hearts? Understand that insofar as there is a lack of resistance against these sins, we are no better than the Israelites. For we too are God's covenant people called to be devoted, consecrated unto Him as spiritual Nazarites and thus opposed to anything and everything that God Himself is opposed to and that is opposed to God. And so if we are tolerating sin in our lives, if we simply accept that this sin is going to be a part of my heart and life, we too are guilty of such covenant, covenantal transgression. And Samson would have just as much reason to be frustrated with Hope Protestant Reformed Church in Redlands, California as he did with his fellow Israelites in his day. Going back to his frustration, it was no doubt his frustration that led him to seek an occasion against the Philistines as we learn in verse 4. Judges 14, verse 4 tells us, but his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord that he saw an occasion against the Philistines. And I've tipped my hand to indicate that I believe the he there, the one seeking an occasion against the Philistines, is Samson. I put it that way because there is considerable debate. Someone here is seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Who is it? Is it God or is it Samson? There are some who would argue that it's God who is seeking an occasion. And they would point to the structure of the sentence and the, gra- the, the grammar because immediately before that we read, but his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord. And then we read that he sought an occasion. So it makes sense that the he is referring back to the most recent proper name, the Lord. And then the idea would be that, well, It's not just that He's sovereign over what's going on, but we're being given an insight into God's own purpose in this history. That could be. 
However, I believe it's better to understand the he in verse 4 in the middle to be a reference to Samson. That Samson seeking an occasion. And I say that because of the specific wording that's used here. Because that, I, the idea of that word occasion is really he sought an occasion for a quarrel. He's looking for a reason to fight. And, spe- and in addition to that, the preposition is not really against, it's from. He's looking for an occasion to quarrel from the Philistines. He's looking for them to provide him an opportunity to quarrel. And I believe that applies far better to Samson than it does to Jehovah God. Because if Jehovah God was the subject, we would expect the language to be something along the lines of that he was going to create an opportunity. He was going to provide an opportunity. God himself does not need to seek to look for an occasion to fight against his enemies. He has one. They've sinned against him. But this language does make sense when applied to Samson, that he is seeking an occasion to quarrel, that he's looking for the Philistines to give him reasons to do battle with them. And he needs this because the nation of Israel was not interested in revolting. Whatever efforts Samson has made to rally the troops, they've gone unheeded so that it's become clear to Samson that he will not be able to deliver the nation of Israel as the other judges before him have. As the leader of an army, that's not how it's going to go. Nor is it an option to fight against the Philistines as a sort of one-man army where he puts on all of his armor, marches up to the garrison and says, I'm here to fight. That would be folly. Instead, he has to find some other way. What he's going to do is look for the Philistines to give him reasons to fight. By going and interacting with them. By rubbing shoulders with the enemies, confident that as he interacts with them, their hostility toward him as an Israelite, their hatred against Samson is going to manifest itself. It's going to show itself. And they are going to slight him in various ways. They're going to commit wrongs against Samson. And when that happens, well, they will have provided him an opportunity, an occasion to quarrel. So that when he does quarrel, it will appear as though he's simply responding to the wrongs that have committed have been committed against him. So that the ordinary man observing the situation could hardly blame Samson for his actions against the Philistines because they were the ones who wronged him first. That, I believe, is how we are to understand this language that he, Samson, sought an occasion for a quarrel from the Philistines. And this was a good desire on his part. This was proper because these enemies are not just Samson's personal enemies. These are the enemies of of God Himself. Of His covenant and of his covenantal people. And what is more, Samson has been called to this work. From before the time that he was born, he had been set apart to deliver the nation of Israel so that he simply 
seeking to be faithful to the calling that God has given to him so that this is a legitimate desire on his part to do battle with the Philistines. And it's important that we remember this as we move forward in this series of sermons. Because when we come to His various feats and His mighty deeds, on the surface, they most certainly do appear so self-willed. They look to be nothing more than personal revenge coming from a man who hates to be slighted. That's what we will see on the surface. But the key is to go back and remember this particular verse which is telling us that in all this, Samson is being very deliberate. He's being very intentional. His actions are calculated in such a way that he's looking for the Philistines to give him occasions, give him opportunities to do battle against them in such a way that it simply appears as though he's returning the favor as it were. This was a good and proper desire on his part. And in seeking to deliver Israel from their enemies, Samson points us to our Savior Jesus Christ. There's typology for us here in this portion of this history as well. For Samson points us to the Savior who was appointed to deliver a people that by nature did not want Him. Just as the Israelites were perfectly content to remain under bondage, slavery, oppression, so too were we by nature as those fallen in Adam. We were not crying out, God help us, God deliver us. And yet Jesus Christ came anyway. God raised up a deliverer who would come to save a people who would die for them while they were yet enemies before we ever cried out for help. And for Jesus Christ to do this, to bring about this deliverance, He would have to enter into enemy territory as it were. Just as Samson would have to rub shoulders with the Philistines, whether it's right or wrong for him to do that, In a far greater way, Jesus Christ would leave behind heavenly glory. The place of fellowship with His Father. And He would come into this sin-cursed world where He would rub shoulders with those who hate Him. Where He would interact on a daily basis with His spiritual enemies. He had to enter in He had to enter behind enemy lines, as it were, in order to deliver us. And understand that it's more than that though, because even our Savior Jesus Christ saw occasion against His enemies. Maybe it's surprising for us to hear that said, but think, for example, of the various interactions between Jesus Christ and the religious leaders of that day, the Pharisees. Especially the various Sabbath day disputes concerning the proper meaning and application of 
the Sabbath. There's an instance in which Jesus Christ, knowing full well that the Pharisees are watching Him intently, deliberately heals a man with a withered hand right in front of their eyes. On another instance, He will heal a blind man by taking some clay, spitting in it, and making a sort of mud. And what He's doing is He's intentionally breaking their man-made rules right in front of their eyes. He sought an occasion against His enemies. Not just to tick them off. Not just to rile them up. But to expose them. And their works righteousness for the sake of God's glory and for the good of His people. And in each instance of occasion seeking, Jesus Christ stepped ever closer to the cross of Calvary where He would at last defeat our enemies. In this history, we find Samson seeking an occasion and the subsequent history makes clear he will find plenty of them. And step by step, the conflict will intensify so that step by step, Samson draws ever closer to his last and greatest triumph over his enemies. And so it would be for Christ. Every step that he took, every interaction with the religious leaders of the day, every encounter with his enemies was another step closer and closer and closer to the cross. Where he would deliver us from all of our enemies, the devil, sin, and death. And where he would win for us the forgiveness of sins and life everlasting through his precious blood. That's where this history points us. And what makes Christ so amazing, what makes him the greater than Samson, is that he would do all of that without ever using a foolish or sinful means to do it. And that's what we find Samson doing, sadly. He uses foolish means to seek an occasion, namely, he married a Philistine. That's what's being recorded for us in the first three verses of the chapter. Samson's meeting this Philistine woman, his communicating his desire to his parents, get this woman for me, and his insistence she's the right one, even though she's a Philistine. And verse 4 is telling us his purpose, at least part of his purpose in all this. He's seeking an occasion to quarrel from the Philistines. That is, he by this marriage, he will come into the closest possible contact with the Philistines. He's going to insert himself into their lives through this marriage, confident that their hatred against him as an Israelite is going to show itself. And when it does, when he's wrong, wronged, he will be able to respond in such a way that the ordinary observer could hardly blame him. That's his purpose. And the desire to deliver is a holy desire. 
But the means that Samson decides to employ are most certainly an unholy means. Because it involves marrying a wicked unbeliever. The Scriptures emphasize this woman's nationality. Again and again, she's referred to as one of the daughters of the Philistines. We read that language multiple times. Scripture's making a point. And then when his Samson's parents address this and talk to him, they lay their finger right on the heart of the matter. She's not a part of God's covenant. Notice how they speak of her in verse 3. Is there never a woman among the daughters of thy brethren and of, among all my people that thou goest to take a wife of the uncircumcised Philistines? You're looking for a wife from those who do not have the token of the covenant given to them. These are not Jehovah's friends. They're His enemies. They're our enemies. And this is sinful. Such a marriage was expressly forbidden in the Old Testament. We read of that, for example, in Exodus chapter 34, verses 12 and following. Exodus chapter 34, verse 12, Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. And then verse 15 clarifies, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land, and they go a-whoring after their gods, and do sacrifice unto their gods, and one call thee, and thou eat, his, eat of his sacrifice. And thou take of their daughters unto thy sons, and their daughters go a-whoring after their gods, and make thy sons go a-whoring after their gods. These verses are prohibiting a mixed marriage, that is a marriage between a believer and an unbeliever, one of God's covenant people, and one who was outside of God's covenant. And the reason being that most often it's the case that when a believer marries an unbeliever, it's the unbeliever who negatively influences the believer. That's what Scripture itself is telling us. That this would be a snare to their souls. And it was a failure to heed this word that was part of the reason that Israel was in this predicament. They had not been faithful to this word of God in Exodus chapter 34. We read of that in Judges chapter 3, verses 5 and following. Israel as a nation has been guilty of these mixed marriages. Judges 3, verse 5, And the children of Israel dwelt among the Canaanites, the Hittites, and the Amorites, and the Perizzites, and the Hivites and the Jebusites, and they took their daughters to be their wives and gave their daughters to their sons, and now notice this, and served their gods. Mixed marriages led to idolatry. And now Samson in his folly is about to do the same thing. And this was folly on his part. And no doubt, standing behind it was his own sinful lusts of the flesh. Oh yes, he is seeking an occasion against the enemies. Yes, there are times where he's clearly led by the Spirit. 
But there are also times where he's clearly led by his own sinful flesh. And there's evidence of that here. There's evidence in verse 1 of the chapter that we read. For we read there, and Samson went down to Timnath and saw a woman. Not met her. Not had a conversation with her. Not started a relationship. He saw her indicating that he was drawn first and foremost to her outward beauty. And that's confirmed in verse 2 when he brings the request to his parents, get this woman for me. Excuse me, rather verse 3. When they try to convince him otherwise, Samson says in response, get her for me for she pleaseth me well. And literally, it's she's pleasing in my eyes. This is a matter of physical attraction. And Samson's being governed by his own sinful desires, his own lusts of the flesh, so that in this specific matter, he's no different than his fellow Israelites. Because the exact wording at the end of verse 3 is, she is right in my eyes. Do you recognize that language? That's the language we're going to find again and again Well, that we would find again and again if we kept going in the book of Judges. In the last several chapters, we read time and time again that every man did that which was right in his own eyes. It's the exact same language being applied to Samson. He's being governed by his own sinful flesh. Oh yes, Samson. You might try to justify your sin. You might try to excuse it by saying you're simply seeking an occasion. You're trying to be faithful to your calling. But Samson, is that really the whole of the matter? Samson is not at least a part of it. But you want this woman because she's willing to wear things. Say things. And do things that the women of Israel will not wear, will not say, will not do. You're seeking a woman who will try to entice you. Samson, do not try to justify your sin. Yes, your desire to deliver Israel, that's a good godly desire, but Samson, this is not the right way. Find some other means, some other occasion instead of marrying this Philistine woman. That's the warning that Samson needed to hear. And that's the warning we need to hear. A warning against following Samson down these same paths of folly. And that includes, first of all, a warning against marrying an unbelieving and ungodly spouse. Young people, young adults, do not follow Samson's example by seeking to find a spouse from the daughters, from the sons of this world. Oh yes, they may well say things, wear things, do things that a fellow church member would never do. But understand that to marry such an individual is a foolish decision. Look for a spouse where Samson's parents direct him to look for a spouse. 
among the tribe, among the nation. That is, in your own local congregation, in the denomination. Find someone that you are one in the Lord with. Second, there's a warning against likewise being governed by our own sinful desires and our own lusts of the flesh. For the reality is that those words that come out of Samson's mouth, even if we never articulate them, are the thoughts of our own hearts. Get her for me, for she pleaseth me well. I have to have this. Because it feels so good. It's pleasing to me. I like it a lot and therefore I need to have it. That's us. That's my old man of sin and that's yours, child of God. And thus we need to be reminded of the calling to mortify that old man of sin. Put him to death. And walk in the Spirit rather than walking after the flesh. Do not give in to those ungodly desires, those lusts of the flesh, but starve them. And third and finally, we must hear the warning against ever thinking that the ends justify the means. Was Samson guilty of that? In the end, we cannot say with certainty, but the fact that we have a good desire right alongside of an ungodly motivation leads me to believe that he sought to justify this by saying, I'm simply trying to do something right here. But whether or not he was in fact thinking that the ends justify the means, we must hear the warning that Such thinking is folly. No matter how noble our goal, our purpose in life may be, that is never an excuse to throw out God's commandments and to do whatever I want, whatever I feel I need to do in order to achieve that end. The ends do not justify the means. Heavenly Father, deliver us from this folly that we see in Samson. For though he had a good desire, this, these were indeed, this was indeed a sinful, a foolish means. He is blameworthy here. But saying that in no way takes away from the fact that God is also sovereign over this. And that's where the passage itself points us to our sovereign God who's ruling over this whole history. That's what we have at the beginning of verse 4. But his father and his mother knew not that it was of the Lord. Those words are indicating that God is the one who determined this. And God is the one sovereignly bringing this to pass. God is sovereign over this entire situation Which is to say, He's sovereign over both the godly desire on the one hand and the foolish means on the other. We see God's sovereignty in the good desires in Samson's heart. 
for this history is still connected to the preceding verses, the end of chapter 13, where we read at the end of chapter 13, verse 25, and the Spirit of the Lord began to move him at times. That is, the Spirit was working in him good, godly desires and giving him the strength to carry them out. And that same notice in verse 25 applies to what follows. Where is this wholesome desire to deliver the nation of Israel coming from? The Spirit worked that in Him. By His sovereign grace, He was giving to Samson this godly desire, this concern for God's covenant, this hatred of God's enemies, and this desire to deliver. And may God so work in us by His Spirit this same thing. In light of the fact that there are times that we too begin to tolerate sin. We accept this idol of the heart as part of our life. We stop resisting this particular sin in another area of our life. In light of that sad reality, we must cry out this evening, God, work in us by Thy Spirit and give us this same desire. Work in us the desire to tear down those enemy strongholds. And give us the strength to make war against our enemies so that rather than tolerating the presence of sin, we instead put on the whole armor of God and do battle and fight the good fight of faith. That's our prayer. When we remember that even Samson's godly desire is on account of God's sovereign grace at work in his heart. So God is sovereign over the good desire. He's also sovereign over the foolish means too. Samson will go on to marry this woman later on in the chapter. She will be referred to as his wife. But here too, God is in control. So that although it is the case that Samson's decision to marry this woman is against and outside of the will of God's command, how He tells us to live in the Bible, this decision is not outside of the will of His decree. His plan for our lives. God was in control of this and God Himself would have a good purpose in this. He will give to Samson many opportunities, many occasions. He will create them. He will provide them. So that Samson will be given occasion to quarrel and thus deliver his covenant people. And really, God will use Samson's sins, his foolish decisions, so that in the end, Samson is a very unique type of Christ in that it will be in his death that he saves his people. How does Samson get to that point? Because of a number of foolish decisions that he makes, all of which God will use to accomplish his own purpose. 
God was sovereign over this. And praise be to God. He's sovereign over our sins and our own foolishness. Now in saying that, let me immediately qualify that by making crystal clear this is no excuse for sin. We may never try to justify a sinful decision that we're about to make by appealing to God's sovereignty. We, we, we might be tempted to do that. On the one hand, we might think, well, it's okay that I do this because in the end, God's going to make it all work out in the end. After all, he'll use this for my good regardless of the fact that it's a bad decision. Or we might fall into a, a similar but different train of thought where we say, well, If God did not want me to do this, He would stop me. This must be His will for my life. This must be His plan for my life. Otherwise, He'd put a roadblock in my way. But both lines of thinking are entirely wrong. Because on the one hand, what we're doing is tempting God. We're expecting Him to bless us on the path of sin, that I'm going to make this foolish decision, but then he's going to make it all work out in the end. That's tempting God. And on the other hand, when it comes to making decisions, we must go based off of God's revealed will, the will of his command, how he tells us to live in the Bible. We do not know the will of his decree. We do not know his plan for our lives. But he has told us very plainly, His will in the sense of His command, His preceptive will in His Word, and we must be governed by that. So there's no excuse to make sinful decisions, to make foolish decisions in light of God's sovereignty. But now with that very important qualification in place, there is comfort. for us as God's people in the, when we look back and with regret consider those past mistakes, those failures, those sins, those foolish decisions. For what, for what adult in this congregation does not have such regrets? Which one of us does not look back and think, what was I doing? How could I have been so foolish, so ignorant? Or we think, look at how much of my life I've squandered. All of those hours, all of those opportunities, all of them wasted in pure vanity. Or we think about what might have been, what could have been. If I had not become ensnared in this sin at that particular point in my life. If I had not made that foolish decision back then. What could have been? How much better my life could have been? I ask again, what adult in this congregation does not have such regrets. We all do.
But now praise be to God that in light of this history, we see the truth of His sovereignty over it. That though my sin was indeed outside the will of His command, how He tells me to live, it was not outside the will of His decree, His plan for my life. And wonder of wonders, even my past sins are subservient to my salvation, to my greatest good. And it's in light of this truth that we do not need to be handcuffed by the past. And wondering what might have been if I had not done this or if I had not done that. But instead, we rest in the truth of God's sovereignty and the the knowledge that He's a far better ruler of my life than I am myself. And that while I am tempted to look back over my life as it's charted out like a timeline and put a big red X here and to erase this part of my history, we recognize that as for God, His way is perfect. And He uses even our past sins to accomplish His own good purpose in our lives. And insofar as there is still that guilt, that shame, on account of the sins of youth, well, let that be the occasion to go once again to Jesus Christ. To go to the greater than Samson who laid down His life in order to deliver us so that there might be the forgiveness of sins. Amen. Let us pray. Our Father which art in heaven, blessed be Thy name, O God, for sending Thy Son to deliver us a people who were not seeking deliverance by nature. Blessed be Thy name for Thy sovereign rule in our lives whereby Thou dost control everything and dost make even our past sins subservient to our salvation. Father, make us wise. Deliver us from walking in the paths of folly and help us to do all to the glory and honor of Thy name. Hear this prayer for Christ's sake. Amen.